I'd like to talk about three pitfalls of peril that we can pass by in our life tonight. And I want to leave us with just this verse before we begin to unpack it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world. There's a message right there. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I'll read it again. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Would you just say amen to the reading of the word of the Lord? You can be seated tonight. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. It's obvious that John's intention, the beloved disciple, his intention is to give the New Testament church the information that she requires to succeed in that New Testament age. John was the eyewitness of the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the transfigured Christ, and the resurrected Christ. He was rock solid in his faith, and he stood fast his entire life to the promise that God had given to him. And the letters of John were written in order to encourage followers of Jesus to remain faithful to the truth that they had been given, in spite of Roman opposition, in spite of of challenges that would come into their life, in spite of all these things that would oppose them, John's letters loudly declared, stay faithful and stay true. And if we were just to back up a few verses from our text that we read standing together, we may get a broader picture of John's uh, attention to the issues of their day and large in part to ours. If you backed up to verse 1 of 1 John chapter 2, you'd read, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And uh, just tap your neighbor and say, Sin not. Ideally, this is the case. Don't sin. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Thank you, John. Don't sin. However, because John knew humanity like we know humanity, and John may not have known us, but we know us, John follows that first verse of do not sin with this. He said, and if, other versions say, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John uh, wanted us to stretch for the ideal, but he was also very grounded in the reality that we as people of God would face struggles that we would succumb to and challenges that we may yield to or sin that we may give into. And so we said, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he didn't stop there. He reminded them of their past way of taking care of the sin problem in their lives. He said, and he is the propitiation or the mercy seat for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John just kind of laid the case out. He said, don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate. We have an answer. We have a solution. We have We have a way out of the mess that we're in through Jesus Christ. He said, not just for your sin, but we may as well put it all on the table today. He said, not just for your failing this morning or not just for your problem that you encountered and gave into. He said, we may as well just put it all on the table. He said, Jesus Christ 
his sacrifice, that propitiation, the mercy seat that his blood was laid upon is not only good enough for your sin, but it's good enough for the entire sin of the whole world. I, I, I'm grateful that John just kind of laid it out and said it's not just for somebody's simple sin, but you may as well put all the wrongdoing of humanity on the table. And John said that propitiation, that mercy seat, that blood that was shed is enough for all the sins of humanity. Now, if you're grateful for that, would you clap hands to the Lord? I'm grateful tonight that God's got us covered. Whatever the sin, whatever the failure, whatever the wrongdoing, not only for you, but for the entire world, God's got us covered. The mercy seat was enough for the Old Testament to push the sins forward for one year. But here's what we know that in the New Testament, the mercy seat, when Jesus applied the blood of Calvary on that heavenly tabernacle mercy seat, it was enough. Somebody shout enough for a moment tonight. Somebody just say it was enough. It was enough for the sin that happened on Monday. It was enough for the sin that happened last Tuesday. It was enough for the sin that happened in our lives. Whatever may have occurred since Sunday when you left in victory until Wednesday when you came in defeat. I just came to let somebody know tonight that God is enough for you. <laughs> He's got you covered. He's got you covered. The same power of the blood that was applied in that Old Testament. Uh, wasn't diminished coming into the new. It was a greater sacrifice. It was a greater power. It was a great authority. I, I'll just remind us of an old song that some of us used to sing, and the blood has never lost its power. No, never. No, never. Jesus' blood avails for sins forever, and it will never, someone shout never, lose its power. I, I had to do some digging for, for that song. It was rolling around in my brain like it does. And I was like, and the blood is never, what is the rest of that? Thank you, Google. Da -da -da. And then under it, I, I realized that it, it had a little explanation for the author. It was written by Lelia Morris. She wrote hymns as she did her housework. That's what it said. Not only while she did her housework, she also became blind at the age of 52, and she continued to write hymns. Her children and her family uh, got a 28-foot-long blackboard for her that she would write out. Even though she was blind, she would begin to write out the hymns. And somewhere, somewhere in the middle of all of her hymn-writing experience, that hymn came out of, in spite of her challenges, in spite of her difficulties, in spite of whatever excuse she may have had for not turning to God, somewhere, somewhere, just one day she began to say, and the blood has never lost its power. No, never, no, never. I, I just want to remind us tonight, the blood has not lost its power. I, I don't know if you spent the day doing housework or you were behind a, I don't know where you were working today, but here's what I know, whatever it was, the blood has never lost its power. He's enough. He's enough. And John, he, he wanted to ensure that the New Testament church didn't live in a place of defeat, but rather it lived in a place of victory. In 1 John 2, 12, he continues that same chapter down a few more verses. He said, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. He then he, he, he opens the generational divide and he said, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And then he said, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. 
I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong. All you young men over there. Stephen, is it your birthday today? Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Stephen. I'd sing, but I, I've been preaching. I can't sing very good after that few minutes of shouting. I write unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, you and ye have overcome the wicked one. He, he opens up the, the conversation to every generation. Whether we're young or old, whether we're, we've been in, in this for our entire lives or whether it's brand new and we're just trying to figure our way along. Here's what John wanted us to know. Our sins can be and would be forgiven. That we have authority in God to continue our relationship with God in spite of whatever we may encounter. And not only that, but we have the opportunity and the authority to overcome the enemy of our souls. He wants us to know. He, he's laying the groundwork for where he's going. He wants us to understand that we've got a great God. No matter how great the problem may be, our God is greater. No matter how big the sin might be, the blood is enough. He's, he's laying the groundwork. He's laying the picture for that New Testament church and this test, New Testament church that we could walk in faith and know that God was in control. I'm glad to know that we can live in victory. But he just didn't give us all the encouraging words. John wanted to warn us at the same time. And so here's the lesson tonight. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, say it with me, number one, the lust of the flesh, two, the lust of the eyes, and three, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. When the love of the world begins to broaden in our lives, we can be sure that the love of the Father is diminishing. They can't walk a parallel pathway in our lives. One is going to grow and the other is going to diminish. And we have to choose which is going to be great in our lives. So there's three pitfalls of peril. I, I grew up in a place, it's called Barca Subdivision, and uh, somewhere along grade, I can't remember, grade 7, grade 8, my dad bought a three-wheeler. And, and one of my favorite things to do was that I'd take the three-wheeler and just drive up the, the subdivision street. And, and there was a pit there, great big pit, sand pit. And I would go around the sand pit and just like monotony. Up the hill, down the hill. Up the hill, down the hill. I'll excuse, I'll, you know, save you the, the rest of the afternoon of driving. But after a while, you get so you're a little bit comfortable with the, the precipice of the pit, and you'd go up, and you'd, you'd want to spin the tires a little bit and throw the dirt in the air. And you'd be, hmm. And then after a little bit, you get more comfortable. You start spinning the tires and throwing the dirt in the air, and then you're looking behind you. You're coming down this big steep hill on the pit. I remember this one day, my sister was driving and she decided that she was going to go up the pit wall. And she wasn't in a low enough gear and 
I was like, we're not going to make it. Go faster, go faster, go faster. And it was like, Ugh. I'll leave you hanging. <laughs> and we get to that point, and I'm like, you can't put the, the brakes on because then you have no ability to steer, and you can't hit the gas because you've got no more power to go up, and and you're just kind of at the mercy and peril of the pit. And I, I can remember coming back down that hill backwards. And everything's just shaky. And before you know it, we're thrown clear of the three-wheeler. And it's sideways sliding down the hill. And we're on our backs coming down the hill. And thankfully, no one, no, no drastic challenge. No one's hurt. But, uh, but that, the peril of the pit is that it just has this ledge that is just about straight down. And if you're not careful, you can go off the edge of the pit. And that lesson carries over into the supernatural because John is wanting us to ensure that we are careful about the pitfalls and the perilous drops that are right there in our Christian walk every single day that we live. There, there is the the perils that we have to deal with. And the enemy doesn't give us a heads up. It's just a pit. It's a drastic drop. It's a place that none of us want to fall off of. It's just, it's just this pitfall that, that if we're not careful, we don't want to get close to the edge. We don't want to get near it. It's just this pit. And if, if we live our lives the way that God is calling us to live, then we will circumvent the pit. We'll get around it. But the enemy's goal is that it's just kind of obscure enough that, that someday if we're not careful, we just fall into the pit. There are pitfalls that we want to avoid in our Christian walk with God. And John is very clear. He just said, Here, here's three pitfalls that you've got to look out for. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he doesn't hold back. He just kind of releases the word. And, and I just want to talk for that, talk about those just for a few moments tonight, if you'll allow me to. The lust of the flesh. Let's remind ourselves that lust is a natural appetite gone out of control. Lust is a natural appetite that we have, but it's gone out of control. And God has given us provision for fleshly appetites, whether it's in the natural realm, uh, eating or, or whether it's uh, intimacy and sexual activity. God gives us very clear boundaries and defines the lines very clearly so we stay in the parameters away from the pitfall of the lust of the flesh. That desire that he naturally gives us so that we can strengthen intimacy in marriage is to be reserved and preserved for that relationship alone. It's a natural activity, a natural desire that he has given us. But here's what the world would desire to do and the enemy would like to do. He would like to take and pervert that until it becomes a pit that anyone could or may fall into. And John's saying, be careful. He, I, I think it's so succinct that he breaks these, the sin of humanity and he just aligns it with three areas of life. He, he breaks it into three branches that we have to watch out for. He, he, he allows it to be three roads that we say, here, here, here's what we've got to look for. Three pits that we've got to watch out for in our lives. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride 
of life. He, he breaks it down simply. He, he defines the boundaries of our lives by these problems that exist and pitfalls that abound around us. Doesn't take us very long to look around and see that the world is actively engaged in accommodating the unnatural, out of control desire of the flesh. Pornography is a prevailing problem. Sexual activity is anticipated and even expected outside of marriage. The pitfall of the lusts of the flesh is widening and deepening daily. Watch out for that pit. The world isn't just ignoring the church and the word of God any longer. The world is warring against the church and warring against the word of God. And I, I know there's a natural war at work in our world right now. And we're praying for Ukraine. And we're praying against uh, all the atrocities that are happening. We're praying that God would bring peace. And praying that God would help those that have been harmed. And all those things we're praying about. But, but can, we be, uh, can, we, can we just kind of raise the headline and the profile of what's happening? There is a war at work against the church of God today as well. Sometimes we, we can just become so used to the mortar shells and the bombs going off around us in people's lives that we, we get accustomed to what's happening and we forget this is a pitfall that John said, look out for it, watch out for it, it's there. Don't be ignorant of it, be aware of it. There's a hatred that's becoming more widespread against the church. Be aware, there's a war going on. The mentality of being hated for his namesake is becoming a reality. I echo uh, Pastor Alex and his message on Sunday night. Parents, we need to do whatever we can to build guardrails for our children. And whatever we can do to build walls that protect them. Someone say protect them. It's time. It's that we, we need to take time to interact we need to make time to protect, and we need to break the attempt of the enemy at work to destroy our families and our children. We need to work actively to ensure that we're not falling in that pit. The lust of the flesh is at work in our world, and we want to ensure that that's a pitfall that we don't fall into. Someone say amen. We need to build walls to keep God's power in and the devil's plans out. We need to be protected against that pitfall. The Bible gives us uh, a good way out. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 it says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. There is an option. There's an alternative. He said, you can put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you do, you're putting off that lust of the flesh. When you put on Christ, then there's a power that comes in you. There's, there's an obvious example to get around the pitfall of the lust of the flesh. He said, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Don't make opportunity. Turn away every opportunity to, for the flesh to be fulfilled and turn and allow God to be put on in your life. And when we put Jesus on, the enemy gets put off. When we put Jesus on in our lives, we walk, we walk a wide step around the pit of falling into the lusts of the flesh. Instead of putting on some things on Netflix, put on Jesus Christ. Instead of putting on some music that doesn't glorify God, put on Jesus Christ. 
Instead of putting on distraction, put on something that draws you closer to God. Make not, the Bible says, make not provision for the, don't make provision for it. The, the understanding there is that there are times when we will make provision for our flesh. But Paul's telling the church in Rome, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of. If you don't make provision for it, it can't be fulfilled. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the gospel music ring through the rafters in your home. I don't know if it's so go or if it's whatever. Make sure it's good. I like it all. I, I like bluegrass. I like, I like twang. Not a whole lot, but sometimes. My father-in-law was visiting yesterday. I, I had the Hensons cranked right up. Call me gone. I'll believe it. You got to get the little break in there. Call me gone. Save the rest for Sunday. Make not provision. Someone say make not provision. The lust of the eyes was another pitfall that John brought our attention to. Let's remember just for a moment the little example of manna in Exodus chapter 16. It was that provision that God brought to Israel when they didn't have anything. And they didn't know what it was. As a matter of fact, their statement was, it's, it, it's, it's, what is it? What, what is, what is it? What is that? That's manna. Manna. It was unlike anything they'd ever had before. There's a few things that we know about manna. They may not have known, but here's what we know now through Scripture. It was small. The Bible says it was small. It's insignificant was enough for them to acknowledge that it was small. Like hoarfrost, it said it was this small, small pieces of manna that it required work. It had to be collected. It had to be, uh, you know, somebody had to get up and get out. And it had an expiration date. It melted away in the daytime when the sun came up and hit it. It melted away. So you had to get up and get after it. If you're going to eat that day, then you had to get up and go out and collect that small little bit of manna. That manna. The, that was the, it was the, the one thing that was required for you to possess. But it had not only an expiration date during the daytime... It had an expiration date of the day. Moses said, only collect what you require. And what happened with Israel? They went out and collected what they required. And then they collected more. Because that's what we do. We get what we need and then we say, it's not enough. And we have a lust of the eyes that we act on. And say, you know what? I, I could just use a little bit more of that and... And I'm happy with this, but I'll tell you what I really need. Needs a strong word. Here's what I really need. I need some more. Someone say more. That's what Israel did. They gathered more. They, they gathered extravagant piles of manna, and they put it in the corner, and they said, well, there. Because you know what, you know what gathering more means? Gathering more means I'm not trusting that God's going to take care of me tomorrow. Gathering more in the now and here in the present. It's just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not satisfied with what I've got. I, I'm going to make sure that I get more. And, and really what that picture was, was of all of us and our lust of the eyes that we have. 
that we have a desire to attain and we have a desire to pile up and we've got we've got so much that we're building all kinds of storehouses for what we're possessing but God says at the end it isn't going to matter at all so don't worry about more but that's what the lust of the eyes does it it calls for us to come and get more but what happened the next morning here's what we know the next morning the real Answer comes when, when they go to get their more and all it is is a pile of worms and stinking mess. That's all it was. Uh, that more that they had collected no longer, no longer amounted to anything. And sometimes we work so hard to get more and at the end of the day it becomes absolutely nothing. And you know, we're not critical today. We're not telling people, don't, don't get what you need. And, and we're not talking about enjoying what God has blessed us with. I mean, there, there's a flip side of that coin. We could talk about Solomon and horses and horse trade. And we could talk about David and temple. And we could talk about all kinds of good things that God can place in our life. But if we're not careful, it's a pitfall that we become so obsessed with getting more for us that we forget that God is the provision and the provider of it all, and we end up following in a pit, falling in a pitfall that we were never intended to be exposed to. Someone say, we don't need more. We don't need it more. The real, the real answer was that God was the ability and the provision for every single day. We all struggle with the lust of the eye. And there has never been a day when, when it's more in front of us than right now. If I just started talking about motorcycles, Honda CBR 600, if I just start talking about, all of a sudden I will start getting ads for, and I'll have to buy it. <laughs> it's not a want. It's a need. Have you seen the price of gas, Kathy? This motorcycle will give me 86 miles per gallon. and Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It was the provision that God promised would come daily was what God was asking them to trust him with. God promised that he would be enough. And sometimes we struggle with the same challenge because we start building our own personal kingdoms and it becomes a pitfall can't be at church because I got to work and I can't be involved because I, I'm too busy and I've got, I'm, I think we have to be careful that we don't fall in that pit. Amen? The lust of the eyes puts us on a trail of desire that will never be satisfied. Never. Because there's always more stuff. But all it does is ends up stinking full of worms. It doesn't matter. There's never been an age where we end up emptying our lives of the most important treasures that we have in hot pursuit of the things that just turn to worms. We have got to watch for the pitfall of the pride of the eye, the lust of the eye. Finally, tonight, we have about 15 more minutes. I want to talk about the pride of life. There's a reason that God hates pride. The devil loves pride. 
When we're filled with pride, the devil just decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break. I'm going to go on vacation because I got this one sewn up. It's all wrapped up. He, he knows the power of pride because it's what brought him down. And if he gets his way, you'll fall in the pitfall of pride because that's what happened to him. The devil couldn't serve God when there was no devil. That's how powerful and destructive pride is. Pride will pull you down without the devil's help. If the enemy can just plant enough pride in your spirit, then he doesn't need to work on you at all. You've already gone off the edge of the cliff, and you've fallen in the pitfall of pride. His devious offer to Adam and Eve in the garden is an echo of his challenge against God. He told him in Genesis 3.5, You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. His exercise of pride separated him from God, and his desire was that Adam and Eve would both fall in the same trap that he had fallen into. Pride, it's, it's there, it's given, uh, we find it in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13. He, he said, <clears throat> Isaiah gives us this little insight, this little picture of what happened in the heavenlies when the enemy fell. He said, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That is what the enemy desired. I'm going to be just like God. Pride. Pride. You say, I've never said that, Pastor Jack. That's, that's not in my heart. Guess what happens when we start giving in to pride? We become our own gods. We become so focused on ourselves that it obscures our vision of God in our lives. Pride is a powerful pitfall. Proverbs 16 verse 2, it says, All the ways of man are clean, pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the Spirit. In our own eyes, we will never be wrong. And that's, that's pretty heavy words that, that Solomon starts out with in Proverbs 16. He said, all the ways of man are clean, pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirit. Uh, Solomon understood that, that we can all justify our activity. We can all justify our mentality. We can all justify the way that we feel about something if we allow ourselves to become God. But God weighs the spirit. He said, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. And some people, they, they're, not, they're not very focused on works, but here in this verse it says, commit thy works unto God, and thy thoughts shall be established. Some people say, don't judge my works. Well, Scripture says, commit thy works unto the Lord. And I'd add the emphasis that, to, to the fact that, that we can get our act together sometimes before we even have our thoughts together. It seems like that's what they're saying in Scripture. Commit thy works on it. If you sometimes, when you don't even understand, but you start doing the right thing, you may not even have the right reason or logic behind it. But if you start doing the right things, it said, and thy thoughts shall be established. That's why preaching is important. That's why teaching is powerful because we may not even see it in ourselves. We may not have ever thought about it on our own. But you know what happens is as the word comes and we obey the word of God, we begin walking the right way and then our thought pattern becomes what God intends for it to be. We begin to see that's what God was talking about. That's what God was protecting me from. That's what God was at work doing. That's how God works. And, and I just needed to get my actions in order and then the thought process falls. Um, 
thy thoughts shall be established. Could it be that we get the right motives, we get the right motions, but then we inherit the right motive? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's important that we do the right thing sometimes before we even understand the right thing. We can come back to the music. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, it continues on that chapter. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. James thought to include this, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We can have a lot of people oppose us and continue and be successful, but here's what we can't do. We can't have God oppose us. If God's resisting the proud, but he's giving grace to the humble, God, let me be among the, those that are filled with humility. And some of, us, some of us would say, well, I don't have a problem with pride. And there's probably been lots of times when I've thought that myself. And uh, I've got a few pointers just to close this final pitfall out with tonight to, to be aware. Because sometimes, I'll be honest, in life, we don't really see it clearly. We don't, we don't see the pitfall. We're just going about life. Everyone else is walking on that road with us. We're traversing together. But if we're not careful, there's a pitfall. It's pride. So here's just a few indicators. Just a few. I've got 50. Here's, here's some, some indicators that pride may be growing in your life, that you may be heading toward the pitfall without even realizing it. Because pride, pride's deceptive. Pride deceives. Pride is that pit that's hidden in our life. But John wanted us to be aware of it. How do I know if I've got pride at work in, a li in my life? Here, here's some ways, and I'll, I'll use first person because I wouldn't want anyone to feel bad. I tend to be self-sufficient in the way that I live my life. I don't live with the constant awareness that my every breath is dependent on the will of God. I, I tend to think that I have enough strength, ability, wisdom to live and manage my life. And my practice of spiritual disciplines is inconsistent and superficial. I don't like to ask others for help. I'll tell you what. Ding, 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 ding. Pitfall ahead. Pride. I'm often anxious about my life in the future. I tend not to trust God. I, for number three, I, I'm overly self-conscious. I tend to replay in my mind how I did, what I said, how I'm coming across to others. I'm very concerned about what people think of me. I think about these things constantly. Number four, I, I fear man more than God. I'm afraid of others and make decisions about what I'll say or do based upon this fear. I'm afraid to take a stand for things that are right. I'm concerned with how people will react to me. I primarily seek the approval of man and not of God. I got a pride problem. I feel insecure. I, I don't want to try new things or step out into the uncomfortable situations because I'm afraid I'll fail or I'll look foolish. I'm easily embarrassed. Or here's one, I regularly compare myself to others. How am I doing on the scale of normality? 
I'm self-critical. I tend to be a perfectionist. I stand, I can't stand for little things to be wrong because they reflect poorly on me. I have a hard time putting my mistakes behind me. And some people probably are just holding back the laughter because you know that's not my struggle. But here's what maybe I struggle with. You see, pride isn't thinking of yourself too much. It's thinking of yourself, of too much of yourself. You end up thinking about yourself all the time. And it may not even be this lofty thought. It may just be this, hmm. I wish that I could. I wish that I had. I, I wish, I wish. Poor me, woe is me. Or look at me, look at me, look at me. You know, it's a, it's a fine line. It's a balancing act. It's, it's a narrow road, this thing called living without pride. Avoiding the pitfall is not simple as it may seem. I want people to be impressed with me. I check the number of likes on my post, my pick, my preaching, my project. I like to make my accomplishments known. I tend to be deceptive about myself. I find myself lying to preserve my reputation. I find myself hiding the truth about myself, especially about sins, weaknesses. I don't want people to know how I really am. Dare I carry on? I'm selfishly ambitious or I'm overly competitive. I I like to be the center of attention. I'm self-serving. I like to talk. I'm not very excited about seeing or making others successful. I tend to feel envious, jealous, or critical towards those who are doing well or being honored. I, 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 I. Here's a good test. How often do we say I in our conversations with somebody else? I, me, my. Ding, 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 ding. Pitfall ahead. Danger. Why would, why would John... Why would John, out of all the sin that he could pick for humanity, why would he pick that one? Doesn't he know that we have it all together? Ding, 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 ding. Pitfall ahead. Pride. Why don't you stand together with me? I feel deserving. Pride. I often feel ungrateful. Pride. I find myself wallowing in self-pity. Pride. I'm pretty insensitive to others. Pride. I have a hard time showing compassion. I'm impressed by my own knowledge. I have a hard time listening to ordinary people. I listen better to those I respect or people I want to leave with a good impression. I don't honestly listen when someone else is speaking because usually I'm planning what I'm going to say next. Or I feel compelled to balance everyone out. I interrupt people regularly. I feel compelled to stop people when they start to share something with me that I already know. On and on and on and on and on. It goes. Because we, we all, we all struggle with pride. It isn't thinking too much about yourself. It's about thinking about yourself too much. It's a challenge for every single one of us. Every one of us struggle with all three of these areas. And God says, be careful. It's a pitfall. Anybody want to make it? That's why we we took some time to get a little bit heavy tonight. Because we've got to be aware and careful. It's not always obvious. 
It's hidden. It's just the normal terrain, but before we know it, it's a pit that we could fall into. It's something. What happened? What happened? It was, it was, it was a pitfall. They weren't watching where they were going. They, they missed the marker. They missed the indicator. They, they missed the thing that, that should have or could have warned them. They, they walked beyond. They walked too close to the edge. They got, they got close to the pit and fell. Watch out. Watch out. Three pitfalls of peril to pass by. But like any good preacher and like anyone who truly loves people, John didn't end with those words of words to the wise. He continued on. He said, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. And he gives us this promise, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I want to do the will of God. I want to abide forever. I want to watch out for every pitfall. I want to watch out for everything that would trap us and mess us up and cause us to fall and to stumble but but here's what I know that if I if, if I'll just let God do the work that's why John started this whole chapter he knew where he was ending John wasn't just rambling along in scripture he he knew exactly where he was going so in the beginning he he thought it very important that he would let people know your sin isn't fatal it's not final it's not the end your sin can be covered it can be it can be taken care of the blood is enough whether you're young old Middle age, no matter where you are on the generational scale, it doesn't matter where you are. Here's what John was telling us. His blood is enough, but here's what you've got to watch out for. Watch out for the pitfalls that will take you down. We're too close to the end of the coming of Christ. We're too close to the end of time. Very, very soon we'll no longer be here, but here's what we, we've got to do. We've got to keep walking circumspectly. We've got to be aware of what's happening around us. Just look at your neighbor and say, watch out, watch out. I wonder if you'd lift your hands and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your help, God, for your word that God is that lighthouse in the midst of fog and trouble. God, it's that lighthouse that gives us indicators that we're near perilous places. I ask Jesus that you would let something that's said tonight be an indicator in someone's life protect them from the pitfall. God, I ask that someone would change direction. I, I pray that someone would repent because they're walking hastily in the wrong direction. I, I pray tonight, God, that you would allow your word. God, let your word be a light to their path and a lamp to their feet, we pray. I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that I feel right now. Spirit of the living God, would you move in this room? Would you move beyond this room? God, I pray that you would bring courage and strength to somebody. I ask, God, that you would convict us. God, direct us. Order our steps, God. Search us today. Try us. God, allow us to be under the spotlight of your word. Don't let us deflect. God, don't let us divert. Allow us, God, to take the full impact of the power of your word at work in our lives today, we ask. In Jesus' name, we pray. Would someone say, in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. If you love him, would you clap hands to the Lord? Yeah.